Here's a piece of the upcoming episode of the Beaver Tales podcast. We're trying to basically help athletes. I mean, it's, it's sad that the medical world and, and the SNC strength and conditioning world, they keep running the same stuff out there, yet non-contact injuries, ACL tears, Achilles tears, these non-contact injuries percentages are increasing through the roof, 400, 500, 600% a year. It just doesn't make sense. That's just a little bit of this episode. And before we get to the whole conversation, I'm giving a shout out to Kingdom Home. You can't find a better charity than Kingdom Home, which is run by Matt Boyd, former Oregon State pitcher. His wife, Ashley, also helps operate this house in Uganda. In fact, it's now multiple houses where kids who are in danger of being trafficked can come live, have a safe place, get education at Kingdom Home. If you're already loving what you're hearing, go check out Kingdom Home, their website. The link is in the description. You can learn more and maybe donate if you're willing and capable of doing that. So thanks to Matt and Ashley Boyd, their staff, the house parents there in Uganda, and everyone else helping out with that amazing organization. All right, now on to this episode of the Beaver Tales podcast. This is the Beaver Tales podcast with Josh Wharton, who has covered Oregon State athletics since 2013. And it was not only in 2013 when I started covering Oregon State athletics, but that's when Logan Ice came to Oregon State. Hi again, everybody. I'm Josh Wharton on the Beaver Tales podcast, where I chat with former Oregon State student athletes about their career at OSU and what they're up to now. My guest today, Logan Ice, Came to OSU fall of 2013, and then it was the spring of 2014, his freshman year, when he became the starting catcher for Oregon State. One year removed from their College World Series appearance by his junior year, Logan Ice was a first-team all-conference player, the Pac-12 Defensive Player of the Year. He was drafted in the second round of the 2016 MLB Draft by Cleveland. He spent about three years in the minor leagues, but Logan Ice officially retired from pro baseball earlier this year, back in January. What he's passionate about now is GODA. In fact, he just got certified as a GODA coach. GODA is an acronym. If you look it up, it'll probably read as greatest of all time athletes, or really what they probably prefer is greatest of all time action, because it's more than just athletes they're trying to work with, but people and body movements and injury prevention. That's sort of the topic here. At its base, GODA is the science behind human movement patterns and studying slow motion video of body movements to examine why injuries happen and why we move the way we do. The idea kind of comes from studying babies, actually, and how they learn to crawl just naturally, not to mention indigenous tribes, people who are not used to sitting down in chairs and having the sort of sedentary lifestyle that many people in Western culture do and seeing how often they have better posture, less common injuries, that sort of thing, as well as studying really successful athletes in America and why are the ones who never get injured so successful at avoiding injuries. That's as far as I'll go explaining it. Logan, being the certified go-to coach, can give a lot more explanation to it, and you can tell he's really passionate about it. Now, normally on this podcast, I talk with athletes about their career, what they did at Oregon State, the transition away, what they're doing now, and we'll talk some about Logan's baseball career especially at the end, but I just really enjoyed how passionate he was about Gota. You can tell he really cares, and I'd rather talk with someone about what they're passionate about than just what they used to do five years ago, especially if it's really relevant right now, and Logan just got certified about a week ago, right at the beginning of this month, and I chatted with him on Wednesday night, uploading this Thursday morning. So I hope you enjoy this podcast episode with former Oregon State catcher, current Goda coach, a Puyallup, Washington native, not the first Puyallup person I've had on this podcast, 
He now resides in Camas, Washington with his wife. Please welcome Logan Ice. It's an honor to, to have you on the Beaver Tales podcast, Logan. Thanks for joining me. How are you doing today and how is Camus handling everything right now? Yeah, we're doing good. It's, it's kind of had some interesting uh, heavy winds and fires are kind of blustering around. But other than that, no, we're doing, we're doing good. It's me and my wife and, and we actually got my brother-in-law down here who plays football at Stanford. So we're, we're plugging along. We're doing good. What's your brother-in-law's name? What position does he play? Yeah, so my brother-in-law is Foster Sorelli, plays right tackle at Stanford. So he's going into his, his redshirt junior year. So he's actually going to kind of double dip. He's about to get his degree from Stanford, which is awesome. Um, and then he's, you know, kind of in the perspective draft prospects. Um, so hopefully he has a great season or they get to play a little bit of ball here soon, whether it be six games or whatnot for the Pac-12. Get some tape out there and, and hopefully slide into the draft and, and go live out his you know, professional football career. Uh, that's good for him. And that kind of means that you've got an athlete right there in your home to, to talk about something that's pretty new in your life, getting certified, gosh, just a, a week or two ago in, in GOTA. And I'm, I'm interested to hear a lot more about that, how you got involved and all that. Tell me how you, you first even heard of GOTA and get started to get through. Yeah. Yeah. So it basically was, I was back in the area, back in Camas and in, in the gym, I'd, I'd done just about every type of training style right? Powerlifting, you know, kind of heavy lifting, a lot of lifts off the ground. I'd done kind of more plyometric stuff. I'd done more speed work. So I kind of done it all. And, and then when me and my wife, my wife got a job in the Vancouver, Washington area. And when that happened, I obviously was still playing. So I was trying to find a gym. Well, I, you know, contacted all my buddies who I knew in the Portland region or in the Vancouver region. It was like, Hey, where's the place to work out here? Where do the pro guys work out? And he was like, I got the same response from them all. And it was new athlete. Uh, which is in Vancouver. So I had worked out. I ended up going over there and loved it. I loved everything. I felt the best I ever felt. Um, was the most athletic I think I'd ever been. And so I, I felt really good. And so then time passes, and then we come back to this point where I'm done with ball now, and I'm doing some lessons. I'm doing some catching stuff, hitting stuff, working with some clients, doing that stuff. And so I was in the facility, and I reached back out to, to Ryan Paul, who is the, the owner of New Athlete. And kind of was, was like, hey, I'm going to come in and just, you know, chat. You want to, is there anything you want to talk and just kind of catch up, whatnot. And, and you know, I kind of told him the decision I had made to be done with ball. Um, and he's like, yeah, I'd love to catch, catch up, see how you are mentally, see how you are just in terms of kind of what you're trying to do moving forward. And so we had that conversation. And one of the first things he mentioned was Goda and that they had looked into this. Well, Tyler Doran, who, who I do a lot of my baseball stuff with and have kind of partnered with a little bit on the baseball side, he was the one who he's kind of a, he's been in the training world for a while now, uh, but a baseball background. And so he was like, man, like he found this go to thing on Instagram and really pushed it to Ryan was like, man, like this is kind of crazy. Like this makes way too much sense. Like we should look into this. Ryan then of course, when I come in, talks to me about it and is like, Hey, we're kind of looking at this go to thing. You should like Google it and put it in like your Instagram search and see what it's all about. And so I did that. Of course, I went down the rabbit hole and I spent way too much time doing it, but then it led to this exactly right now. They end up making the move um, over the last probably seven, seven or eight months. Um, this was probably in like, I had this conversation probably in January. Um, and then, so now over those, whatever it has been now, six, seven, eight, nine months, probably about the six month mark, they made the, the jump like, this is where we're going to go to. We're going to go to this go to thing. Well, then it then progressed. Um, they actually, Ryan had the go to guys. There's, there's four master coaches that go to 
One was he's the founder. He basically saw it. He was the first one to discover it, um, this pattern. Um, and then there's like the, the performance coach who's kind of runs the facility down in New Orleans. And then there's two kind of master coaches. One's, one runs kind of more the getting people certified, keeping everything business in, in, in such an order. And then the other one's just a, an absolute specimen in terms of understanding what the body was meant to do, how it moves and, and, and understanding, kind of getting, not necessarily getting into arguments, but being able to combat or, or bring up reasons why rationales and examples as to why GOTA is the way to go for locomotive type human beings or people in general who are locomotive uh, movers to not be pulling stuff off the ground, lifting, engaging the lifting engine. So he's like the fourth coach and he's super educated and has a lot of knowledge on the topic. He obviously, he played at Iowa. So he was a, a high-end collegiate quarterback, played four years in the NFL. And so he knows the whole lifting gig. He knows the power lifting deal, the Olympic lifting deal and whatnot. So he has a lot of knowledge, but then they came out and they, they went through, we did an online course through, through um, a Slack channel Lots of information was put in there. We were able to dialogue um, back and forth between the coaches, our staff, and kind of do that deal. And then they came out for a four-day period. Ryan paid for him to come out um, and get the gym as a whole certified uh, as a go-to gym. And so each of us are obviously working through our certifications at our different times. I just was happened to be the first one that was able to put it all together and, and get it done. But we'll all be certified here probably in the next week. So all of us will have that go-to certification. And from there, we just are, we're trying to basically – help athletes. I mean, it's, it's sad that the medical world and, and the SNC strength conditioning world, they keep running the same stuff out there, yet non-contact injuries, ACL tears, Achilles tears, these non-contact injuries percentages are increasing through the roof, 400, 500, 600% a year. It just doesn't make sense. And that's kind of their whole deal is like, Coda's deal is it's, it's like, that doesn't make sense. Like if, if you're doing it, if that's the right way, then how come people are still getting, it's not, it's not on accident that things like this keep continuing to happen. And there's other things, obviously, other than training, sedentary lifestyle is another one. I mean, our kids are putting tablets in their hands at the age of whatever, three, four, five. Now shoes are literally pillows for your feet, but you're putting kids in those at a really young age, cell phones, whatever else, TVs, there's other contributing factors, but this for athletes uh, in specific, in specific, excuse me, the, the training is one of the things that we can change and, and prevent those non-contact injuries, but people are still going and they're pulling the Olympic lifts and they're doing that stuff. And you see these percentages continue to rise. And so us as a gym, we're seeing the performance from athletes increase. We're seeing it skyrocket. We're seeing health. I mean, go to since Gary um, Scheffler opened up his gym in, in new Orleans, he hasn't had a non-contact injury since he opened in 2016. So, I mean, that's four, four straight years. And he's got Daryl Williams, uh, who's the, the second string running back for the chiefs. And he's actually the only one to technically have some sort of injury. He got a hamstring pull once. Um, so he went on a little, uh, injury report for that. Um, but realistically, other than that, he's got Jamar chases. He's got three commits to LSU right now. I mean, he's got guys left and right that he's just through going through the roof. He's got some NBA guys. So we're seeing, um, you know, through him, at our gym as well, we're seeing changes. I mean, my brother's been doing it. He's or my brother-in-law, and he's been seeing changes, uh, great changes. His body feels better than ever. Um, so there's been that performance side. But again, like I said, we're just trying to help as many people as we can. If, if people don't want it and they're stubborn and stuck in their ways and they don't want it, that's okay. Like, we just want to inform people and be, I mean, honestly, 
quite frank with them that like your body is going to break down the way that you're doing it right now. And that's really what it comes down to. So that's kind of the story of it, how it kind of all evolved. It was, it was a very, it kind of happened quick, but if, I don't know, it was, it was kind of something that I just like dove into and it just didn't stop. It was a big rabbit hole. I went down. Uh, that's it seems like you're on the cutting edge. I mean, it's a, it's a, not, I won't say a new yeah. thing, but, but you're getting right in the mix of it. So I, I've kind of seen a little bit about the philosophy behind it, the science behind it. But now that you're certified and you've got your athletic background, I'm sure you can put words to it better. What is kind of specifically the um, driving uh, research or realization from Goda of, hey, this is like you alluded to Ricky Stanzi earlier, and I saw him tweet, you know, the Goda can basically uh, end the Achilles and ACL epidemic was was the phrase he used. So what is it about Goda and the philosophy that is going to make that difference, what you teach athletes, the, the movements that you advocate for or tell not to do? What, what is it specifically that um, you're going to be able to do to make this big difference? Yeah, so so basically it's, it's a – the guy who founded it traced it back to the crawling baby and then you're talking indigenous people. And then, and then he moved on from there, obviously into the, the athletic performance world. And it was the same, the people who didn't get hurt had the same patterns and the people who did get hurt or tore their Achilles or had chronic injuries or had, or torn ACLs had the same movement patterns of how it happened. And, it, and essentially it boils down to, there's, there's a couple other things, but ultimately what it comes down to is the inside ankle bone being low is just the detrimental uh, a cause for all negative results in terms of life movement, body breaking down. And then when you get onto the athletic performance field, that's where the ACL shreds happen. The inside ankle bone sits low. The knee then tracks that same thing. Cause it's a bone. It's not some wiggly thing. It's whatever the inside ankle bones do, the ankle bones are going to track up through the shin, shin through the knee, knee through the, 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 the uh, femur all the way up into the, 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 the hip socket. Right. So they're going to track the same way. So if I throw that inside ankle bone low, right that's going to basically take my knee on the track and my shin and my thigh on the track inward, which is going to send what we would call it into valgus, which then my foot and shin gets stuck. But as I start rotation, my ball and socket of my hip can continue to rotate. So my ball and socket of my hip and my thigh, thigh bone continue to rotate in as my, or out, depending on which way. And you get the foot stuck in the ground, the shin don't move. And the, basically that's where the knee shred happens. Same thing in the Achilles. The, the Achilles basically gets put on that inside ankle bone low and the heel goes, tracks down and in this way. And it basically overextends the Achilles and the force production put into the ground, the heel going into the ground, then rips the Achilles. It's the Kevin Durant's of the world. Kevin Durant steps back, lands back, throws his heel into the ground, inside ankle bone low, heel pointed in, and he shreds his Achilles, you know, for no apparent reason. But then you trace it back to training. He's a, he's just a notorious inside ankle bone load trainer. Um, he just loves, he loves to have his knees bowed in. He loves everything just as reverse. And then you see the continual injuries from a guy like that guys like Grant Delpit, unfortunately training that same type deal, you know, first round draft pick, they throw, they do this heels down technology through their lifts, which then they get onto the field and they put heels down on the field and they train inside ankle bone, which is low, which is all of these Olympic lift derivatives, trap bar deadlifts pulling off the ground. And it sets their foot and their ankle into an inverted position down and in, which is setting them up when they get onto the field, when they have to make a cut or change direction or force starts getting applied to them. 
their their tibia gets stuck in the ground, their foot gets stuck in the ground, then the the femur continues to roll and it shreds the ACL. Um, so it's basically that inside ankle bone high technology is what we what we would call it sets the athlete up to create a good bow in their right knee, which is basically a, a rotary effect around each column. So I want to create a rotary effect around the right leg on landing. Um, and then to leave, I want to go basically into internal rotation to leave the ground, but people are reverse movers. They usually use, they move from in to out with their kneecaps rather than out to in. And so they set themselves up for these non-contact catastrophic injuries or just if they aren't doing something of high performance or high impact or high levels of force production, they just will end up having chronic back pain, chronic knee pain, knee pain, uh, plantar fasciitis. Like my mother, my mother has plantar fasciitis. She is a reverse mover. Her heels, she takes her knees. They start in, they go out. Her heel goes from out to in. They just, they go reverse. And so she's got knee pain. She's got lower back pain. She's got plantar fasciitis. Um, and so it's just, even the normal people, they just, they, they move the wrong way. They work in reverse and then they feel it. If they're not on that athletic performance field, they feel it in the chronic, the chronic pains or the knee replacements that they end up having to get when they're 60 years old. Yeah. As, as you're saying that with the basically just breaking it down, especially the ACL is the one that stands out to me. Cause when I tore my ACL, tore my meniscus, it was non-contact. I'm going up for a rebound. I come yep. down and my, my left foot is kind of splayed out. I'm not landing under my columns with my feet mm -hmm. shoulder width and my, you know, inside ankle is probably down and my knee kind of just goes with bends in and shreds yep. my ACL right then. Yeah. I mean, these guys have watched and I'm and obviously new. Uh, I haven't been doing this thing. These guys, I mean, Gil, coach Gil, Jose Bosch uh, is his actual name goes by coach Gil, but he was the one who did, kind of discovered that innate pattern from the crawling baby from the, the really young non decoded, little child who just starts up and walks how they need to walk or the indigenous person, the super athlete, every ACL that he saw and every good mover that he saw, they had the same patterns. So the ones that tear their stuff up, have chronic pain. He was one of them. So he knew it. It was all inside ankle bone low. They never set good bows. They never were able to internally rotate to leave the ground. And so they always have these problems. And, and like, I mean, I got video on video on video, Porzingis, same position, probably the same exact thing you did playing hoops. Porzingis comes down, Foot's outside of his column, knee comes banging in inside ankle bone low. There goes his ACL. Same thing with guys like uh, Clay Thompson. His is brutal to watch. I mean, that's that's one of the things for me. It, as bad as it is, that's how you get through to people and athletes is show them like this is what this is literally what you're training. This is how you're training. You're pulling stuff off the ground. Let's watch your lift. Watch your lift. You go inside ankle bone low, knees sit inside, your feet are outside of your columns. All that weight you're pulling is off the inside parts of your knees and off the inside parts of your ankles and your hips, right? But now you take that to life and then you wonder why the inside of everything hurts. My knees hurt all the time. My ankles hurt all the time. Not to mention you put that on the athletic field or in your case, you're playing a game of pickup basketball and it's, you come down wrong and you've just trained that you've moved that way for so long, whether it because even if you didn't lift sedentary lifestyle, I mean, that's, that's just as bad as some of these lifting coaches putting these, these bad lifts together. And it just decodes you, takes, it, takes you out of that innate pattern that you were born with and had some on long time ago that the indigenous people had, the crawling baby have. Um, and then it puts you in a really vulnerable position to have just non-contact injuries that should not happen. They just shouldn't happen, but they do just because of the way that we were, we decoded ourselves out of that pattern that we were born with. Right. So now let's take that 
idea and then kind of translate it to how you implement that day to day now that you're certified and you're basically a go to coach if that's the right terminology. So when you're teaching athletes this, do you take them in the in the weight room and do exercise with them to build muscle memory so they're not landing that way or other stuff? Or, or what, what will you do as a coach now that you're certified kind of day to day? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so there, so basically every, everything we want to do, there's two different, there's two different engines there. There's, there's a drive engine or a locomotive engine, whatever you want to call it. They kind of go hand in hand. If you're talking sports performance, it's usually the drive engine, right? That's the sprinting. That's the the offensive lineman. That's the run block, the pressing into somebody that's, that's uh, the, again, the sprint down the line of baseball, basketball, that's the leaving the jumping up to go dunk a basketball, whatnot. So that's the drive gear, or we call it the locomotive. It's a forward moving action. And then there's the lifting engine, which is the reverse. That's for the high jumper. That's for the backflip. That's for a professional Olympic lifter or power lifter. And, and that's the thing that, that people get all uptight about with Coda is that we say that that's wrong. If you are a professional power lifter or Olympic lifter, we're good. Dude, that's, that's what you do. That's like being a professional football player. That's your sport. You have to, to be an Olympic lifter or power lifter, you have to move in reverse. That's the only way to get the bar off the ground fast and lift a ton of weight. So you have to do that. And if that's what you want to do, yes, is it going to break you down? Absolutely. I mean, I got perfect, a couple of perfect examples of some guys that I know who are power lifting guys and Olympic lifting guys who have back pain all the time. They've, they actually sideline themselves because of some back pain because of Olympic lifting. So like it's, it's one of those things that there is, there's the two gears. We just stay away from that lifting engine gear. So we don't want to trap bar deadlift and pull off the ground. We don't want to snatch clean uh, jerk. We don't want to do those things. We want to set bows and we can load stuff. And that's the thing. Landmine presses are awesome. Pushing sleds. Awesome. Um, you know, we have, we have a, a, something called a Vertimax, which is basically just a tension built um, platform that allows you to create tension. You can do, we call it again, bows and corners, which is basically setting that big bow knee points out at 22 and a half degrees. And then we close it down at 22 and a half degrees, bows to corners. We can do that violently. We can jump, we can do plyometrics if the athlete's good enough. I mean, there's all sorts of walking variations, weighted vests with walking variations, running, jogging, skipping variations. There's a lot of options to weight stuff. And this is just for lower body, um, upper body's free game. There's no way to really decode your upper body fully. We, there's some things that can kind of set in, you know, you can get that flexion in your spine, but that's more of kind of that sedentary lifestyle, making sure the other aspects of your, of your lifting is done right. And that'll get your spine decompressed and long. So like we can still bench press, we can still, uh, dumbbell, single arm dumbbell bench. We can still do heavy rows. We can still do pretty much anything we want in the upper body realm. It's just securing the pattern in the lower half, which then translate that energy all the way up to the top and allows us to move freely and, and flow. Um, so really like, I mean, I could get into like the, the, all the different types of lifts that we do, but it, it's more so if we are pulling stuff off the ground, if we have that hip thrust action, if we aren't moving pressure from one column to the other, we're out on it. We're just, that's not how we're going to move in life. That's not how someone's going to walk down the street or should walk down the street, run down the street, jog down the street, throw an object. That's not how someone should run block. That's not how anyone should jump off the ground. So we're not going to train it. We want that default pattern or what we call as the central nervous system default. We want that recoded if they're obviously not a goda. We want that recoded so that when they get onto the court and they're in a flow state, 
they don't have to think about making those movements or keeping their inside ankle bone high. It just happens. And that's what gives them security because when they do come down off of laying a ball in or dunking a basketball or shooting, they don't come down inside ankle bone low. They come down inside ankle bone high. Mm -hmm. And that's what provides that security or that secure pattern or innate security pattern for these athletes who are GOATAs. And that's why they just don't get hurt because you can't get hurt from that position unless you're, you're getting contact. And at that point, a contact injury is just a contact injury. The whole idea behind GOAT is pretty, it's just physiological. It's based on uh, just how the body works and how to, to decode and, and go back to kind of our, our natural body and how we should be. Uh, how much of a link do you see with the mental game? I, I've talked with um, Alan Jager, who's a sports psychologist, mm-hmm. works at Oregon State. I, ta- I interviewed Greg Warburton last week or two weeks ago. I'm yeah. not sure if you worked with Greg at all, but yeah, do you remember doing – uh, mental work and, and seeing a link between the two. I don't know what your experience is, but what, what was your background and kind of sports psychology and mental preparation? Yeah. You know, I actually just had this conversation with someone the other day and then I just brought it up again to my brother-in-law. It, it's, it really goes hand in hand. Think, think about the people who are, and it might be in a different way than like a meditation or something like that, that brings the mental awareness, the mental relaxation, the ability to kind of be present in the present moment. It's a little bit different than that. The way that I think of it is people wake up each morning stressed and worried and anxious about how bad their body is going to hurt that day. So like my brother-in-law, his knee was banged up for a long time. This was, uh, his, his knee was kind of out of wax and he would wake up on a daily basis. Like, man, I hope my knee, my knee doesn't hurt too bad today. I hope my knee works for me today. And I know there's a lot of people out there. My mom's the same way. Like, man, how bad's my plantar fasciitis going to hurt today? How bad is my knee going to hurt today? How bad is my lower back going to hurt today? Am I going to wake up? My back is just grueling because it hurts so bad. And it, it's a, it wears on you mentally. Like it has, there's no way it doesn't because you're anxious, you're worrying, you're afraid. And all those come into your mental psyche of being able to go out and not have to worry. Life has enough, you have enough worries in life as it is. And then you add your physical health on top of it, which is almost, that's probably that's like probably the first thing people start to think about. You feel it immediately. Like I can feel like the, the job stresses later in the day. I can feel the, 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 the cars out of gas later in the day. I can feel where's the next meal coming from later in the day. I wake up each morning or I lay my head down on the pillow. I feel my knee throbbing when I get in my bed or I wake up in the morning. The first step I take, ow, that hurt. That has to play a mental toll play a a mental toll on people and and kind of rub them in a way that they're always anxious, worried, and have that kind of angst feeling of, of what that next step is going to hold in terms of pain tolerance for them. And so like that, in terms of the mental game is it, it has, it has to play a toll because I even know as an athlete, like my biggest thing was always being healthy, but it sucks playing a game where you're constantly worried about, man, my knee's sore today. Like I'm going to kind of ease up. I, like, I don't want to go fully here. I don't want to do this like at a hundred percent because I'm afraid like what happens when my knee like starts actually hurting. Now I don't get a play. Now I'm out for, you know, 14 days on the 14 day DL. Now you're not being able to, to put your, put your skills out there and show people what you can do. And I know these NBA, you know, NFL, MLB guys, I mean, they're getting paid millions of dollars and people are counting on you and relying on you to be on the field. Yet when you're in pain, 
you're basically trying to band-aid that up and, and just get you to the next day until it finally just gives out on you. And then at that point, you feel like you've let your family down. You feel like you've let the team down. You feel like you're not holding up your end of the bargain that they've paid you millions of dollars to play your sport. Um, and, and I know injuries are like some of the people go into some of the dark, darkest places with injury. Like it, it sidelines you, it cripples you potentially from being able to go to work, cripples you from just being able to perform. Some people are, you know, obviously working manual labor jobs, having to be on their feet. You got a torn ACL. You're not going to be on your feet. Like you just won't like you gotta, you're going to be on your little walking boot or your knee scooter for a little while. And if your job doesn't allow you to work from home or, or your boss isn't, um, you know, working with you in a way that makes that accessible to work from that, that capacity, you might just kind of be in, in tough luck where you have to take time off of work. And then now you're finding a different mental state that you're in looking to see where my next paycheck's coming from. So I think it's, I think it's hand in hand. I think it goes hand in hand because pain injury, um, you know, chronic breakdowns, those kind of things of the body play a mental toll. Cause you, it's what allows you to do what you do on a daily basis. The thing that opened my eyes, the first person who brought this up was Stephen Kwan. And he talked about, uh, we're so negative in life. It's so easy to assume the worst. And it's really our brain just protecting us. Because if you mm -hmm. assume the worst, then it'll be less surprising when that bad thing happens. Yeah. And at first I was like, oh, I guess that makes sense. But does that really happen that often? Is that what works? And then I started thinking about it. I was like, yeah, you're right, Stephen. Especially for athletes, it's pretty mm -hmm. easy to think, as he would put it, or Greg Warburton talks about the the do zone of performance, you're in the wrong place when you start thinking, I, I can't walk this batter. I can't throw a ball. Mm -hmm. I don't want to do that. Um, that's kind of the mental side. And I think you're the perfect link since you're coaching now and your certification technically is physiological in, in principle, but you've seen both sides of it. You worked with Greg Wurtenberg a little bit and you, you got that mm -hmm. background and you see the connection between the two. Yeah. I mean, it's, it goes hand in hand. Like, how can you be, a, how can you be able to, to say I, I, I do and, and throw the I do's and be able to stay in a positive mindset when you're like, you know, your subconscious is telling you my knee hurts, my foot hurts, my back hurts, my hip hurts, my, my hip flexor hurts, my groin hurts, or I had an ACL surgery, my ACL, you're on the way back. It's repaired. They say you're good to go, but how much do you really trust it? That's, that's what my brother's trying to get that fully back. He's hundred percent healthy, but mentally he's not hundred percent healthy he won't get that last percentage or so right there to kind of give himself that, like, he's got it. He's, there's no injury. Like he's just got to give himself that chance. Like go, I, I got to trust myself from the mental side of things to just give it that last percentage where then he's like, okay, there it is. I'm good now, but it's still on a daily basis. Like I know, I know the athlete worries about it. And then it brings, then you tie the mental and the physical side of things together and that's where you get it. And then the mental, the mental thoughts of, of the Warburtons and the, and the Alan Yeagers and, and those kind of guys, what Kwani talks about, just the, the negative versus positive thoughts. It's hard to be positive when, when there's, you know, your body becomes to be broken down and you have these nagging injuries and you have these things. It's like, how can I be positive when like in the back of my mind, I'm also thinking about these other physical things that are going on with me. So yeah, it's definitely a, a nice combination of, of some, some things. And it starts to make sense from, from just the mental side, how the physical and mental kind of link up together. How would you then 
I don't, I don't want to say fix that, but what would be your immediate response? You start to notice that negative thought. You're, you're questioning yourself. You know cognitively you're healthy or that it's going to be okay, but your mind is telling you otherwise. So then what do you do and what have you learned as a, a good practice in dealing with that and trying to handle it in a more healthy way? Yeah, I mean, my biggest thing for like athletes is like, especially with this goat, and we get, I mean, I haven't seen someone realistically come into our facility and, and be a legitimate goatee yet. I've seen some examples of it. They've shown me some examples, but we haven't been, been in the system long enough to actually have some firsthand examples. So I haven't seen that myself yet. I've seen some big improvements in very short amount of time, but from my standpoint, I want to challenge the athlete. Like when they walk in the door, it's going to be difficult. You need to challenge them when they fail. They need to understand that failing is okay. Like, Failing's positive because if you failed, that means you've gotten better. You know what I mean? You need to now accept that failure as a positive. It's like if you can't hold, you know, we, we're doing a, a, an isometric hold for five minutes. If you get to four, four minutes and you, and you break down and you're like, I just can't do it anymore. Okay, you drop the weight, you pick the weight back up five seconds later and let's finish out the minute. You drop it again in 20 seconds, that's okay. You fail, pick it up. I'm not going to just stop and give up on that last minute just because I'm, I'm feeling some sort of – of of physical breakdown to let my mental game now go away so it's like i i want to combine the two and let let people know like it's okay to have that failure because failure is a good thing because if everyone was just good at everything and always was 100 percent, i i killed that oh i killed that that was great i'm awesome at that i'm then what would be like everyone would be at the top of the world there would be no one percent we'd all be at the exact same point in life there would be no high level athletes there'd be no high level business people there'd be no high anything because everyone would be the exact same because everyone would be good at everything so that's just like it doesn't make sense so like take the the negatives and turn them into a positive and see how when you fail it's good it, when you fail it's good don't don't dwell on the bad thing just take it bad that bad thing let's turn it positive and just go again until you just start understanding i'm gonna fail great awesome i've gotten better keep going up the hill keep going up the hill I, I definitely learned that story through Kevin Abel, in fact, because one of the biggest themes from the 2018 team was Kevin Abel, you know, blows a game against Arizona and then pitches poorly against Arizona State. And Pat Casey says, I'm not going to stop putting him in games because I want him to fail. And I want him to see that failure is not fatal because he didn't fail a whole lot in high school. His ERA was like mm-hmm. 0.5. And then he comes mm-hmm. to OSU and, and fails a little bit and that's okay. And then he kind of learns from it, sticks with the mental game, keeps on growing. And then all of a sudden, or not all of a sudden, it's not coincidental, but you know, over the course of that year, right. wasn't long fails and bounces back. And at the end of the season, you see him throwing complete game two hit shutout in game three. Yeah, it's, I mean, yeah, it's no, that's what I'm saying. It's people didn't get to where they get, like successful people don't get to where they get just because they landed on it like they all had there was all failure there was all low points for all of them at some point now what that is or what they consider low points be different for everybody but I'll tell you what the people who are successful at this point the way that they respond or the way that they act on those negative occurrences it's all the same they just figure out okay that's what happened it happened yeah did it suck sure but how do I find a way to not let that happen again and we're going to keep moving up the mountain I mean Abel could have cashed it in and called this it I'm not meant to play Pac-12 baseball. I'm not meant to pitch in the College World Series. I don't even know if I'm meant to be doing anything in college baseball. Maybe I should just be a regular student. That's definitely a possibility. 
right? But that's not who he is. And then you see him, you know, obviously make his way through that that process of college and and, and figuring himself out on the mound, you know, and, and that's going to transfer over to life in general too, because he's going to find himself once he's done with baseball, hopefully a long, a long way down the road, he's going to find himself in a business situation or an entrepreneurship situation where he's going to get the same thing. He's going to walk in. He's always been successful. He's going to have that pro career behind him. He's going to walk into a business situation. He's going to fall flat on his face and he's going to wonder, shoot, am I meant to do this? It'd be easier to just keep playing baseball. Well, he'll have the same approach. He'll understand, well, look at me back in college. I did this. I played a career here. I'm going to fall on my face. I'm going to get back up and I'll keep moving forward. And he'll be successful in whatever he does there too. So it's, it just goes hand in hand. All successful people, they all fail. They all just have that same mentality to just keep pressing forward and find ways to not let that negative that negative result impact the way that they keep moving themselves forward and up the mountain. Since we haven't touched too much on, on your career, and, and I'll keep it short, I don't want to take too much of your time, and thanks so much because a lot of fun topics to talk about. Um, how about just I'll ask one thing about kind of your career and then one question to close it out, kind of about your transition and, and what it's like to – to not be a baseball player anymore, but in your time at Oregon State, I don't know, maybe maybe a, a, a favorite memory, one that, that you tend to daydream about, or maybe your best Pat Casey story, something along those lines. What, what's a story that you've tended to, to daydream about or tell your friends about that's tended to come up a lot from your time at Oregon State? Yeah. I mean, I got a lot of stories, obviously. That's just kind of what comes with college in general. But I would probably say, honestly, my freshman year was, was a really, really fun time. I don't think anyone really values at the time how awesome it was and how impactful it was that the guys that I played with, the experience that I had, the opportunity that I was given, I don't think I valued it at the time um, as much as I do now. And now that I look back, like anyone talked, like my freshman year was so awesome. Like the, the, old, the upperclassmen, the Confortos, the Davises, the Wetzlers, the Fries, the Moors, all, all obviously in different capacities in terms of how much they helped me and, and kind of our relationships with all of them. But it was one that it allowed me to get to where I was because they required a lot out of me. I was a young little, what, 17, 18 year old kid as you come as a freshman. Wetzler's a 21 year old grown man who's been in that fight for four years now. And so he's your Friday night guy and he's expecting this little podunky 18 year old kid to step behind the plate and run the ship for him and give him a chance to be that all American that he ended up being. And so it, you know, puts that pressure on you and allows you like to really step into that arena and thrive and be super successful. Um, and now I'm kind of seeing kind of those, those things kind of, I guess, come to, to fruition and see the, the hard work on the field and, and what I did, you know, in my baseball career and now pushing, you know, past my baseball career, just being able, like I was talking about before, like it's not all, roses and, and pretty flowers and it's not all this you know it's not easy let's just put it that way things aren't always easy and a lot of things aren't easy but it gives you it set it set me up for life it really did uh, between case between the coaching staff players upperclassmen just the buddies that I've made through that time really set me up to just understand to value value life value time with people relationships with people just the the competitiveness uh, of case and all those upperclassmen lower class or underclassmen um, just kind of gave me the perspective I have now on, on how I help kids, how I, how I get kids to understand, like they, they think that the world's going to end when they, they fail at something, you know, one rep in a cage, you know, on a Tuesday and it's just not that way, but then they let that spiral and it turns into a really big deal. And that's just not how it has to go. Um, and so it, Oregon state was, I, I 
if I could go back and do it again, I, I'm sure you heard this from all these guys. If you could go back and do it again, would you? Absolutely. I, those were the best three years of my life. Obviously, you know, I wanted to go to Omaha, win a college World series. Didn't even get to go to a super regional, but even with that being said, the best three years of my life, I really, really, really enjoyed my time and it set me up, you know, really, really nicely for, for the rest of my life. Yeah. The last thing and kind of as a good transition, I would understand if it's still raw for, you know, no longer having baseball, having only retired back at the beginning of this year. And I'm sure that is difficult for, for any pro athlete. And, um, but when you did ultimately decide, okay, I'm, you know, baseball is, is done and move on to something different. What did kind of hold you down? What, what did you look to of, gosh, I'm no, I'm no longer Logan ice, the baseball player. I'm Logan ice, the blank, whatever that may mm -hmm. be. Um, what was that transition like and what, maybe helped or gave you still some purpose and identity even at a time where the thing you put so much effort into for so many years was now ending for you. Yeah. yeah realistically, like, so here's the thing I think between maybe me and, and some other, I guess I don't want to speak upon a lot of other professional athletes, but I, I know being in locker rooms with a lot of them, they are basically riding, dying on if they make it or not. They, they don't really have a plan post-baseball. They don't really think about post-baseball. It's basically, I got to make it. And if they don't make it, then it's like kind of crap. Like, what do I do? Um, I never was that way. From honestly, the time that I signed on that dotted line, I never thought that way. My agent never, like, he never knew me as the baseball player. He never knew. Me. It was always just like the person the, 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 obviously I like finance business. I, there's a lot of other things that I kind of am interested in. Um, and maybe that kind of was a detriment to my career. Maybe I just had, I was interested in some other things where not that I didn't put all my effort into baseball. Cause I put a lot of effort into baseball, but maybe there's just guys that just had more, they were willing to just give more effort and more intent into what they did. Um, and it just kind of didn't allow me to kind of push over that hill and, and keep me going. But I, I realistically, I didn't love it anymore. I, I love baseball. The business aspect of the minor leagues and what professional baseball was, that's what I fell out of love with. Um, and what kept me and what made it hard to quit was the fact that I, I love baseball. But I didn't want to tarnish the game of baseball and I love for baseball by being in the situation in the business scenario of minor league baseball, professional baseball, where now I look and I do this for five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten more years in the minor leagues, and now my love for baseball is tarnished as well as the the business in which of what minor league baseball or professional baseball is as well. Now I lose two rather than just one. I wasn't that invested in terms of I had other things that I was interested in, and and again, like I said, don't take the investment into to baseball. I wanted it more than anything, and that was also hard because I had guys. In, in, in the front office and whatnot, I knew myself, I would make it to the big leagues. It's just, did the, did the business, did the family situation, did that of what me and my wife had planned for our family and when we wanted to start a family and that lifestyle fit. And ultimately it just, it didn't fit with what I wanted to do with what we wanted to do and how we want to go about our lives. Um, and so that was just, it really was an easy decision for me in terms of, I, I have never one time since the day I retired said, man, I really miss that. Like, I don't do I, cause I still get baseball. Like I, I work with kids. I help kids. I help baseball. I help catchers. I help hitters. I talk with pitchers. I'm still in contact with Ben. I actually have a, a text from Ben right now that those guys, I'm still helping the baseball side. I love baseball. 
I just don't miss the business side of it. And that's what I basically retired from. Did I retire from baseball? Yeah, it shows up. I retired from pro professional baseball, but I retired from the business. I didn't want to be a part of that business. I didn't see a career. I didn't see a future in that. I still love baseball. I still get it. So I'm happy on a day to day basis. That's good to hear. That's, that's about as good as it can be. And, and you can tell the love is still there and it sounds like you made the right decision and, and have something to look forward to. So best of luck with everything with Goda. And I hope you get a lot of opportunities to work with athletes and um, hopefully any, any athletes listening to this will, will hear your name and have a chance to, to look you up and, and you're pretty easy to find, right? They can, or I'll post a link or what, what's the best way for people to get in touch with yeah, you? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I got Instagram. I think it's just Logan Ice. I don't know. I got all these different stupid handles or whatever, but you can find me Logan Ice on Instagram and Twitter. A new athlete you can find. That's another one. New athlete. There's a new athlete baseball page as well on Instagram and Twitter. So yeah, you can find me on there. Uh, I should be up on Goda's website as well um, as a as a certified Goda coach to be able to be hired for for an assessment recoding. Um, or anything else that you're just information if you want to find. So yeah, there's a couple different places, but all yeah, fairly easy places to find me. Yeah. Thanks for coming on. Best of luck with everything going up and looking forward to posting this tomorrow on the, on the podcast and everything. So thanks so much for joining me, Logan. Wonderful. I appreciate it, Josh. Thank you. Well, that was really fun to hear from Logan Ice and to talk with him about something new on his horizon. And I don't know, maybe this is a growing thing. I had not really heard of Goda before, you know, a week or two ago. And I started seeing Logan tweet about it and Ricky Stanzi tweet about it. And I don't know, maybe this is the next big thing or just something that'll be sustainable and teach athletes. I'm not sure, but Logan clearly is really into it. And I'm excited to see how he can impact athletes and non-athletes alike. Uh, again, you can check him out. I'll put his Instagram and Twitter handle in the description. You can find him online and reach out and he's an easy guy to get a hold of. So, uh, yeah, definitely feel free to contact him about more information on Goda. Thanks for tuning in to the Beaver Tales podcast. I've got Oregon State men's basketball player Angus Brandt coming up, not to mention Jay Losey, former Oregon State football player and coach, current Lewis and Clark head football coach, and a lot more guests I've got in the works. It'll be fun. So keep your eyes open and your orange-colored glasses looking out for those episodes. Until next time on the Beaver Tales podcast, I'm Josh Warden. Good night, everybody, and go Bees.